electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer at the New York Stock Exchange. David Faber is at the Active Passive Investor Summit in New York City. Pre-market is red, but uh, off the early morning lows as ADP comes in better than expected. Putin says Russia is ready to help stabilize the market for nat gas in Europe. That did calm some inflation worries. Tenure got to 157 this morning before bagging off. That leads us right into our market discussion, Jim, which is... Basically, these early morning sessions are really being driven by global inflation concerns. Yeah, I mean, look, at, at, at 3.30 this morning, I'm seeing the futures down big. I'm thinking, okay, at four, I leave here at, I don't know, what, 6.30, and the futures are fine. So then natural gas goes up again because Gazprom continues to restrain and withhold gas from Western Europe. And we trade off that. We have the most abundant natural gas in the world, other than maybe Kuwait. I had Al Monaco on yesterday. He's the CEO of Enbridge, largest pipeline company involving natural gas. So we're trading off their natural gas. I mean, honestly, the market is sometimes you have to say the market's stupid. Now, that doesn't mean the market can't do what it wants, but it can be stupid. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to react to rising gas prices, but 40 percent sort of gets eyebrows raised all around the world, don't you think? Yes. But remember, if they, they refuse to ever criticize the Russians. I don't know what they're scared of. It drives me crazy. Putin is driving up the prices. By the way, where is President Biden talking about releasing oil from the SP, you know, from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? That's something that Trump would have done by now, or at least threatened to do that. That needs to come down. That's an idea that he should do. He should say it right now. Right now, he should do that. And then, I mean, look, natural gas, we can only export 10 billion cubic feet. We produce 90 billion cubic feet. With the exception of the constrained pipeline section in the Northeast, we are flooding the world. Do you know that the natural gas price in Canada is $3? So, I mean, let's understand this is a manufactured problem. Manufactured by our inability to be able to, to transport. We have so much natural gas in the Marcellus in Pennsylvania and the Utica in Ohio. And I'm fortunate to visit Utica. I mean, you, look, we're the largest p- potential supplier to the world, but we we do not have enough BCF to export. David, you know that yeah. issues here are issues of coal, which, by the way, were not set up because people decided to not spend anything on coal. Issues of, of uh, what I would regard as being sustainable energy that is not sustainable when it's not sunny and when it's not windy. And the idea that we are somehow linked to Europe reminds me of when we were linked to banks in Europe. When we were linked to Deutsche Bank, remember how false that was? It was a false construct. It's true. Uh, and I, I think the idea that perhaps this linkage is also a weak one is probably true as well. Listen, it was yesterday morning, guys, and you know this, Jim, that those U.K. gas futures went through the roof. It's probably yeah. a margin call. You talk about things being manufactured. I mean, it's only October. Now, we have been talking now for a, at least a week or two about energy prices in Europe, Jim. 
consistently. Right. The lack of uh, coal, for example, the lack of wind, bizarrely, in the North Sea, and or, uh, you know, not enough rain for hydropower. It's hard to go through a number of these different things that have impacted them. But your point's an important one. That said, uh, we're not going to increase coal production in this country anytime soon, are we? No. Our coal volume, this I get from one of my best sources ever, our coal volumes will be limited in the near term by coal production issues. Although demand is exceptional both domestic and overseas, there'll be an uptick in volume, but uh, no, we're not going to be able to do anything. And uh, I was thinking that I should push the rails here. Uh, Union Pacific's going to have an uptick because they do clean coal, they do powder, powder river at CSX, and especially Norfolk Southern. But it's just not going to move the needle, David, because we have systematically underinvested in coal for 18 months. And uh, I, I'm not saying coal's dead. I am saying that to start up the big coal engine in this country is not something we can do on a uh, flick of a switch. Right. But we're also talking about two. We want to make sure we're talking about two different things, power generation assets. And then we're also talking about oil, which is a different subject in the sense of. But similar in in that we've also been talking about the lack of investment, despite the high price of crude right now, Jim. You've made the point well, many but it's times. These companies that typically would have put more money to go back into the ground and develop well, are actually returning it to shareholders. Right. Well, because they, they don't have. I mean, I remember the late Aubrey McClendon Carl used to talk to me. He says, everybody in the world has a marketing department except for oil. Except, you know, oil just says, oh, flood it. That's change. Aubrey would be very proud of what's happening. Uh, big piece in the Times on that very issue, Jim, uh, basically asking the industry why they're not pouring dollars uh, into investment. And one of the lines is, we're still wary. We had negative oil prices 16 months ago. Well, these companies, I mean, Rick Moncrief is probably the smart. I, mean, I think he would be universally acclaimed as the smartest person. Even Mike Worth from Chevron might admit it. Rick is run Stabin, which is a stock that I started recommending at 25. It's now 40. And Rick just said, we're done. We're done with this, okay? We're done with being like, uh, not like other companies. We're going to look at our balance sheet. We're going to act for the shareholders. We're not going to be wildcatters. That game's over. I remember when I saw him, I was in a helicopter with him when he was working for uh, Continental Resources over the Bakken. And it was just the opposite. It was like, there, there. We'll drill there. We'll drill there. And I'm like, he's putting it like McDonald's. So are, that you, are we back to watching rig count? Are we going to have to wait for I watch fr- rig count very closely. So you want, to see, you want to see Friday numbers go up? Oh, my. I mean, I look at the rig count like I did when I was at Goldman Sachs in 1984. I mean, this is the, what you want to look at. And there is no real optic. Uh, there's no one using this advantage other than maybe Occidental, which has got such a bad balance sheet. Really quick. Uh, I mean, so your, your, your general point is why are we trading off of energy prices half a world away? Right. Meantime, you got the seven-day average of cases here below 100K, first time since August. Right. Um, there's some movement, it seems, on the debt limit and maybe even the, the reconciliation on social spending. We trade off of whatever's most negative. We're obviously trying to find a bottom this week and next week or two of the worst weeks of the year, according to 23 years worth of work. Thank you, Larry Williams. So you have to deal with the calendar, but the calendar isn't really about sentiment. It's just literally, this is what happens. This is looking for a bottom, and we're not there yet. But the idea that we're trading off of, I watched I watch a Netherlands person talk about windmills today. And I said, oh, you got, no, I refuse to trade off of windmills. No, I will not trade off of windmills. I'm, you know, I mean, Don Quixote's trading off of windmills, but not me. Where's Quixote? Man of La Mancha. I saw that originally. Original cast. Fantastic. 
Um, we'll talk more about this in a bit. We do want to get to Facebook here in the A Block as Mark Zuckerberg does strike back after whistleblower Francis Haugen testified on the Hill yesterday. In this blog post, he says, quote, at the heart of these accusations is the idea that we prioritize profit over safety and well-being. That's just not true. The argument that we deliberately push content that makes people angry for profit is deeply illogical, Jim. He says uh, we make our money from ads and advertisers consistently tell us they don't want to be placed next to that kind of content. That's absolutely true. Uh, I think the more important issue with advertisers, by the way, is whether you can do third party now that Apple's changed the operating system. I don't want to get away from the core values here. Uh, Look, I think that the blog post, which everybody should read, addresses how they do a lot of they do a lot of stuff. I mean, it's not like they're just sitting there idly. Uh, I do think that the problem is if you go to their website and you look at what they value when you uh, join them for recruiting, it's interesting. Number one, be bold. Number two, focus on impact. Number three, move fast. Number four, be open. Number five, build social value, creating real value. I think that Mark has to say, at least in one of these five, for heaven's sake, is truth, safety. I mean, if he says these are important values, put them in the list of values. I don't see truth or faith. I've been over this this, uh, website. I keep looking for truth. I keep looking for safety. Now, I think it's time that he comes on. I think he has to say, listen, our highest value is uh, trust and safety. Come on. Come on our show. Don't you want to go in front of Congress? Come in front of us. Uh, We're not out there to try to wreck him. We're trying to find out what the truth is. And he does say, look, we see all this research, but because we want our service to be as safe as possible, this is what he should be saying. I will personally oversee this as I have children myself. He addresses that somewhat in in his blog post. Uh, I want to understand. Let's get away from the notion of industry leading. He is the world's largest media company. And just stress that the highest values are trust and safety. And right now, because of what's going on, nothing else matters to me. I think the problem with Mark is he thinks, you know what, I've done this over and over and over again. I've heard this story. Let me tell you what we've done. Now, is he being arrogant? Is he being tone deaf? No, what I think he's saying is, listen, we spent a lot of money on this. But what he's not saying is we have to change our core. It's, it's a core value. He needs to make it right now. He has to switch. He has to say it's the core value. We hear what's happening. And we are about safety and truth. Put it in the top five. When you're recruiting people, tell them, listen, here's the most important conceit. Before we be, be bold, be safe. He has to change. Yep. Now, right. I don't know if he's looking at this. Uh, well, the street's trying to make sense of the hearing yesterday, David. Uh, B of A today, uh, despite the extensive press coverage, we don't expect a material impact on Facebook IG usage. Uh, they reiterate a buy, target 425. Uh, something we've talked about in the past few days. Many times, of course. And the question is, once again, is this focus on Facebook and its practices going to actually result in anything significant in terms of diminution of its business? Um, Ms. Hogan was a very effective communicator. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, and certainly was quite articulate yesterday. And what she sees is so the flaws of the company, Jim. You know, yesterday during our show, you indicated a potential for you to exit the position, I guess, in your, what we call it, your investment club now, right? Uh, right. I wonder, is there anything over the last 24 hours that you've heard, whether it's from the testimony from Ms. Hogan or from Mr. Zuckerberg in, in his memo, uh, that changes your opinion? Uh, I think that's a great question, David. I still think that I'm not getting enough on safety. I mean, for instance, the, me- the memo is really about, to some degree, that they have industry leading checks. And they are. But you know what? They need to do more than that because they're not just industry leading. They're the most powerful media company in the world. And that comes with great responsibility. Yeah. And the responsibility has to be what Mark says in his note, which is that he's a parent. He's concerned himself. 
He wants to dress it. He needs to make this his personal responsibility. And if he does that, I keep the stock. The only thing I'm more concerned about is how bad, you know, Apple's changes are very significant. So, uh, but we expected a slowdown because of Apple's changes. But David, if he goes further and says, listen, in my statement, I want to make it very clear. I am a parent. I'm done with this. I am going to work with anyone who wants Congress, whatever, parents. I'm going to do it. Just because I've been industry leading is not enough. I I see the responsibility. It's now my number one value. David, that is what you can, you can change. People can change. Look at what Vlad Tenev did at Robinhood. What's his number one concern? Safety. But when he got in trouble, he recognized that that's his number one concern. I hear you, Jim. But I have the same kind of conversations with uh, asset managers, with hedge fund managers. I'm like, well, you own the stock and you have teenage girls. And they're like, yeah, this is horrible. I'm like, well, would you sell the stock? And you know what they say, Jim? Why would I ever sell the stock? It's cheap. It is inexpensive. Look, I want more. Oh, I mean, and then there's the added question, guys, of, um, you know, if it's content that makes you feel angry or depressed, how is it different at a news network website or well, at, at oh, Vogue oh, okay, or great, anything okay. else? What is illegal? Remember when NBC had a movie about a woman who was raped with Coke bombs? Rape. And then people did it. Someone did it. So then NBC went to the Supreme Court. They won. They didn't have to change. But then the FCC said, OK, we're done with that. There's got to be family sure. hour. Yep. That's what may have to happen. Family I think are. Mark Zuckerberg does not recognize he is playing with fire. What happens if the FTC says we need a special master? Yep. We'll see. There's more uh, reaction from Blumenthal on the tape this morning. By the way, you can get in on the new CNBC Investing Club with Jim. Sign up and find out more at CNBC.com slash Investing Club. Just point your phone to the QR code on the screen, and that'll also take you there. Some interesting stuff on the retailers, which we'll talk with Jim about in a Thank moment. You. In the meantime, futures remain negative. Lots of uh, calls got a downgrade of the airlines over at Goldman. Uh, Morgan Stanley's Katie Huberty cutting hardware. A lot more squawk on the street after a break. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt, or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Dow. Dow announcing investment plans to deliver more than $3 billion of additional underlying EBITDA growth 
clear path, and I mean a clear path to zero carbon emissions. This is the company hostess Investor Day, and there's a lot of breakthrough stuff here. Joining us now in a first on CBC interview is Dow Chairman and CEO Jim Fitterly. Jim, I always love it when you're here, but today, when you announced plan to build a world's first net zero carbon emissions ethylene derivatives complex, I have to tell you, this is real. This is not greenwash. This is real. This is a big investment. This uh, will take our existing ethylene production at uh, Alberta and more than triple it. And at the same time, we will take the off gases from the new cracker and the existing cracker and convert those into clean hydrogen, circular hydrogen. And then we will use that for carbon capture and sequestration. And we'll make all of the plastics in that facility low to zero carbon. And so that puts you on a path to do what? That puts us on a path to get 30% CO2 reduction, scope one and scope two, by 2030. When we finish that project, 20% of our global ethylene and polyethylene capacity will be zero carbon emissions. And then it puts us on a path to get to zero by 2050. At the same time, I am seeing numbers, EBITDA numbers, that are well in excess of what Wall Street thinks thinks you can do. Now, the demand here is extraordinary. What are they thinking about? Well, our our peak to trough, our trough to peak uh, earnings profile of the company was six to twelve billion dollars. We're announcing another three to three point nine billion dollars of underlying EBITDA growth, so that'll take it to nine to fifteen. We've got strong demand right now, and I don't see that abating. I mean, as soon as we can keep up with the consumer demand. We've got to restock the inventory pipeline, and I think we'll be doing that most of 2022. People are concerned uh, what it means with China cutting back because of inter- energy problems. Europe, I keep telling people, are you not looking at what they're doing? <laughs> Hurricane Ida, plants coming back online, U.S.-based and Canadian-based natural gas. We are not stuck with, with $16 uh, natural gas here. Well, this is, this is why we always say we need an all-of-the-above energy right. policy to fuel a transition to a zero-carbon economy. And you can't do it with just one fuel. Right now, China is tight. They, they don't have enough coal supply. Coal is really driving up the price. And, and natural gas can't supplace all that coal right now. And so there's a big pull on natural gas. Now, the good thing for us is that the Americas, Canada, North America, Latin America... Middle East are all going to be advantaged through this because they have reliable sources of natural gas. If you have cut yourself out of all of the above energy policy and just focused on renewables, you're not able to keep up, especially in the wintertime. And this is why we keep insisting, look, you've got to look at the whole supply. We are very fortunate in this country to have all of the above, and we need to keep it. And that investment in Canada is exactly why. Uh, I want to get momentarily, because I know you long enough to do this, existential. You did not get into Dow in order to be able to do this. You get into Dow to be able to build the best plastics. You have watched what's happened in the world, and you have now changed how you spend money because you feel committed to the planet. Some may say, well, listen, he makes plastic. We have to make plastic. It's necessary. It's the right thing to do. For, for many, many years, the whole idea was to make the lowest cost product possible. Now we're solving the equation, make the lowest cost and the lowest CO2 emissions. Look, this is an engineer's dream. I've got researchers and process engineers right now that are loving it. They're going to throw themselves all in. I don't have an employee that's not all in on making this happen. We'll be able to take the entire footprint to zero scope one and scope two emissions. We're working on scope three with our suppliers. The biggest part of that is shipping. I can tell you all of our shipping partners are getting their hands around their scope one and scope two so we can make it happen. This is a big opportunity for us. 
This is going to create more demand growth. Right now, post-consumer recycled plastics into our plastics product, those sales have tripled in the last year. This is, this is going to go crazy. Zero carbon polyethylene plastics for packaging will be a game winner. Do you think that I, we all both know that there are things like peanuts that are made of cornstarch? People are thinking every minute about this stuff. Do you have something in your planning stage which makes it so plastic actually disintegrates, that plastic becomes something that is just an amazing, amazing, great material that also doesn't end up in a landfill? We have a host of things. Uh, We announced about 10 partnerships today. We're going to showcase what we're doing in that area. They are everything from mechanical recycling to bio-based feedstocks, which come out of the process of making wood and wood pulp products. So that's a very natural occurring product. And we're working on how to make plastics more recyclable. Right now, over 80% of what we make today is fully recyclable. In the next 10 years, it will all be 100% recyclable. The challenge on recycling is you're taking, talking about taking a very diffuse waste source and bringing it back to manufacturing mm-hmm. scale. That is that takes time. So I'm talking about building the scale of Alberta. That's like on the energy equivalent scale, 850 megawatt power plant. These are these are on the scale of 20, 25 megawatt power okay. plants. Right. So it takes a lot of small projects to get there. I thank you for changing the way we have always thought Dell is. You are making it so it is much more environmental, and it is not, not by any means fiction. It's fact. We turn 125 years next year, and we're turning the corner into a low-carbon, sustainable world. We're going to set the standard. Thank you, Jim Fitterly. Thank you. Dow CEO. Carl, back to you. All right, Jim. Uh, Coming up, we'll get Kramer's mad dash. We'll count down to the opening bell. Futures are still in the red, although, as we said earlier, off the early morning lows. More squawk on the street when we return. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Ten-year yield got to 157 earlier this morning, the highest since June on some of these inflationary concerns in both Europe and around all the world. But we're back to 1522 this morning as we're coming off four straight days of 1% moves on the S&P. And the opening bell is five minutes away. Let's get to Kramer's Mad Dash ahead of the opening bell looking at some housing. There's no one better than Ivy Zellman to understand housing. Uh, she's on the show recently, and she gave me some opining about what's going on. Nanny and pre-announced, basically, that they couldn't make the number last night. But they did not give you the substance of why. So here we go. Uh, it has to do with lead times. Appliances, typical lead time, two weeks. Now it's seven to eight weeks. Cabinets, usually three months. Uh, now six to eight weeks, so that's okay. Doors, two weeks. Now two to ten weeks. Uh, insulation, two weeks. Now eight weeks. Plumbing, four weeks, now eight weeks, except for at my house where it's been eight months. Uh, roofing, two to three weeks, 16, uh, 12 to 16 weeks. What I'm saying is, is that basically there are core things that go into a house that are del- being taken too long. And what is it? It's the same thing. It's the ports. It's lacking people to take the stuff, the containers off 
and get the stuff into trucks. So we keep hearing the same theme. And I wish we'd be able to talk a little more about Jim Fiddling because Jim at Dow has really kind of answered a lot of this. But there are a lot of companies that seem to not understand the retirement rates were amazing. That people in their 60s basically were, uh, they just exited the, the workforce. So you're getting the situation where basically it's just every other industry. Yes, we could have been talking to PepsiCo, to Ramon McGuire, I spoke to you yesterday. It's the same thing. It is, but the difference is, is that PepsiCo has huge pricing, uh, pricing power and they can raise prices. Hovnanian, they can, the price of houses are up, yeah. but they just want to build them, Carl. They want to meet demand. Um, yeah, well, mortgage apps were down six, I think, this week. Well, I think rates are going up a little, yeah. but they're not that bad. But you don't think it's a rate story? No, really. I mean, I wish people would stop talking about the rate story. I got a, I got a three and a quarter I'm getting, and believe me, it is not a favored treatment because I do not have a regular so-called paycheck because I'm a contract employee. So I'm getting the, what everybody gets, and it, you're fighting for the money. Plus, it's, it, the process is four months. It used to be four days. It's <laughs> yes. four months. Yes. They want now. They ask me, well, what did you make in September? I said, what do you want me to do? I'll give you like 40. I'll, I'll give you everything you need. It's <laughs> yeah. not enough. Yeah. It's not enough. Uh, take a look at the open here. Uh, pretty weak breath. Oh, uh, there's the big that. board celebrating a merger today. It's Regal Rexner, manufacturer of electric motors and power transmissions at the NASDAQ Nouvelle, a payment technology company celebrating its IPO. Um, we're going to be led lower on the S&P um, by some tech, Jim, uh, specifically uh, Seagate, which Katie well, Huberty, would, yes. in her note today, talks about hardware being uh, a picture of decelerating CIO spend. And um, she cuts hardware as a sector back to cautious. That was a rough, rough note that she did. It's kind of like a little, a little bit like War and Peace. Yeah. Uh, but there is the cloud transformation looks poised to sustain. So if you stick with cloud and digital and you don't go hardware, you're going to come out okay here. Uh, that's why I continue to come back with the work days, with the service nows, with the Salesforce. That's what you buy. Uh, I also think that she would say, look, the Apple situation, she's saying, is good. The Apple situation is good. And there are a lot of, a lot of commentary about yeah, UBS, Apple not being good. Uh, the demand's definitely holding up. And, that, and, and although this FT piece about suppliers warning about the, the energy crunch in China, um, we haven't seen a lot of, like, supply chain worries from the street on Apple. Morgan Stanley, you know, we've got people directly refuting that. And that is, I'm getting that that, that is sloppy reporting uh, because... There is UBS Evidence Lab says no material supply chain. Now, you may, we may laugh about UBS Evidence Lab. They got a lot of smart people there, and they're working on it, and they're saying that's not a fact. It's not a fact. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it. There's um, a lot of stories in autos today. Uh, Tesla rising prices on both the 3 right. and the Y. Right. In fact, you're going to pay more for a 3 now by about 13% than you did in Q1. Well... Yeah, and also the GM Investor Day, which we'll watch. Well, I mean, I was looking at the housing. I mean, people are paying a third, you know, quarter more for housing than they did last year. I mean, I actually think that they're they're more reasonable price. What we what scares me? I went to look at trucks this weekend. Sixty seven thousand dollars for an F one fifty that's five years old. I mean, that's crazy, Jim. This is a message to Farley. I don't care. Beg, borrow, and steal. Get those semis. I'm willing to let you miss 170,000, 150,000 units, but you've got to get more. Mexico, tight as a drum because of semiconductors. David, we know that these issues keep popping up, and yet we are we going to be talking about this next year at this time because nothing's being done? 
Uh, I don't know. From what you've told us, no. Uh, we're not most likely going to be talking about this because things are being done. I would point out in uh, support of your view, at least overall, when it comes to the stocks, and there it is, Ford, that's been by far the best performer this year, up some 60 plus percent, followed by GM, uh, which again is up today, bucking the overall market trend. And Tesla has been the laggard now. Of course, we know for any other period of time that has not been the case, but right. uh, Tesla's still underperforming the broader market right now. Jim, is Ford still sort of the name that, that is your go-to Yes, absolutely, because what Farley's done that the street doesn't recognize is Ford was determined before Farley got there to make cars and trucks in everywhere. That was always been the mantra. Henry Ford won it. Henry Ford second won it. Everybody's wanted that. And Ford's done with that. Ford will make, they will build and make where they can make money. If not, if they're losing $2 billion in India, it's over. If they're losing Latin America, it's over. And that's why I like Ford. Now, the next year, we're going to see this EV lineup. Carl, the EV lineup is so exciting. It can power your, your house, do so many things. But I'm going to give you the other side. Uh, and again, people might say, oh, well, Kramer, you, you've got power. I have, my wife does these things. I've been trying to get my Maverick. The whole point was that I'm sick of my wife driving me to the Eagles games. If I have my Maverick, I can do it. Ordered it in April. Here we are in October. Now suddenly if it arrives, it's because, like I said something, people, I'll be in the journalism jail. But you cannot get these, these vehicles because of chips. Uh, German car registrations last month, down 29. Uh, you got the Atlanta Fed looking at Q4 GDP with a one handle, largely because consumption is going to be clobbered by cars. It's true. I'm going down to Pueblo in a few weeks. Pueblo is the largest uh, auto factory in the world, Volkswagen. If that place is shut down, we're dead. <laughs> I mean, BMW's there. Mercedes is there. Yeah. When I visit, there's a town that I got, got a place in, uh, San Miguel de Ente. San Miguel de Ente. And I've got to tell you, that's just de- that's destination, uh, Guanajuato, right there. And they can't get the parts. Well, what good is it? I, I, this is amazing. Now, Global Foundries come in public. Global Foundries may have answers. I understand that the Malaysian COVID rate has come down. Malaysia is also a, a that is very much of a choke point. Yep. Uh, GM knows that. Ford's actually a little, doing a little better than GM in Malaysia. But it's, it's semis, and they can build the plants, but the plants just don't make nearly as much as when you're making chips, making graphic cards for NVIDIA. Yeah. Uh, we'll definitely watch the supply chain issue. Uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, I, I do want to get you on Bitcoin today. Five-month high, Jim. Uh, these discussions about the debt limit are going to make their way to the White House as the president hosts a meeting with Jamie Dimon, Brian Moynihan, uh, Pat Gelsinger from Intel, and some others. Yes, we met uh, the investment group that I, from my travel trust, that we can follow if you join the club. We met on this this morning. And uh, we feel that the discussion, the Janet Yellen discussion on air yesterday, was a major reason to buy Bitcoin. I mean, we've run it in commercials, but if you if you parse what she's saying, and if it comes true, what could the dollar doesn't seem to be as valuable as crypto? Now that is, we had Jamie Dimon say there's no value. I go back to Jamie Dimon. Say, what value is the dollar? Uh, there's a whole White House blog post this morning, David, called "Life After Default," oh, which is about what what markets and the dollar and stocks would look like if this does not go well. Yeah, I think we could spend an awful lot of time focusing on what things would look like, and they wouldn't be particularly good. Uh, I mean, most market participants are still very skeptical that we will ever get to anything close to that point. Um, 
And so I think it would be something of a surprise if you and I are sitting, if we're all sitting here one morning and it's, uh, you know, we're looking at our watches, counting down the hours, guys. Um, but it's still unclear uh, if, the, if the Democrats will actually have to act by reconciliation to get that debt ceiling raised, Carl. Um, we will see, but that does seem to be the expectation that one way or the other, it will get solved as it always has in the past. Yeah. Uh, Moody's yesterday, stable outlook. Uh, the debt limit will be raised in their view. So we'll have to just watch the clock. Look, we keep thinking about that S&P downgrade. And you could argue right now, if we had the S&P people who are figuring this out, if you're listening to Yellen, don't you just have to downgrade us in advance? Uh, because that would seem right. Let's say it was a stock and we hear this talk. I mean, would you keep you take it from buy to hold? Maybe take it from hold to sell. Speaking of going hold to sell, uh, Goldman cuts uh, American to sell and JetBlue to neutral, Jim. Interesting note. They say, look, industry is still good. Half of our universe is buy rated. But the pricing environment is going to create, I think, what they call Id- idiosyncratic reasons on some of these carriers. Yeah, I think they had to play the game of trying to figure out which ones are better than others. Uh, they did that with steel today. And I thought it was outrageous. They went with Cleveland Cliffs as being the hold to buy. Now, if, if steel's that good, then Cleveland Cliffs will make it. It sells at two, three times earnings. But they downgrade Nucor. And I think Nucor, which is owned by my investment club, I will respond to this. I think Nucor is best of breed. And I think that they don't factor in best of breed nearly enough when they're at Goldman. I mean, Cleveland Cliffs, as much as I like them, and I have the CEO on a bunch of times, Nucor is doing so many good things. If you get an infrastructure bill, you are going to regret that you sold that. If they really think it's fully valued at 99, why didn't they act when it was at 120? I mean, I know that I would be pilloried if I said, you know what, 99 is fully valued. Where were you at 120? You just, oh, okay, I missed that. But why not own up? Why not say, you know what, we missed the top. But we're not, we're late, but we uh, want to downgrade it. Really quick, uh, you had a great uh, email in your investing club last night around three names, Costco, I think it was Walmart, and AEO, all of which you think... Either you're waiting for prices to get good enough to buy or you're looking to hold on to what you have. Yeah, Costco, you could argue, has moved so much that it's really crazy to still own it. I think Costco is best of breed with an amazing model that would do well. Walmart has just fallen four, uh, 13 straight points. Uh, I don't – look, I think if I were uh, – I, 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 if I were there at Walmart, I would say, are we doing anything really wrong? I think that they, they did make a replacement. They did make a change on a supply chain issue, gentlemen, uh, in terms of their hierarchy. Uh, but I think McDonald's doing a good job. And then American Eagle Outfitters, I think that the stock has come down so much uh, that you've got a breakup value. You've got a 3% yield. You've got a company that uh, Matthew Boss has spent a lot of time on reiterating just now that it's good. This is not an expensive stock. Some people are concerned about denim prices. Uh, cotton, obviously China's taking a lot of cotton. This is, was the foremost growth name in the mall. And I think to give up on it now is once again, Ill, it, it's ill-advised. I think it's ill-advised. Hmm. Uh, well, watch it. Obviously, plenty of company in the red today as the Dow's down about 180. Uh, we do want to get to David at the Active Passive Investor Summit today. David? Yeah, thanks, Carl. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite something to actually be somewhere, I must say, for all of us, including the entire crew. It's been a long time uh, since we've uh, actually been out somewhere at a conference. Uh, and I'm happy to be joined now by Alex Denner from uh, Sarissa Capital Management. The last time we talked was some time ago. We were trying to figure it out. It was at the New exactly. York Stock Exchange. Exactly. But neither one of us, I think, have been at a conference in a long time. That's right. I, this is the first time I've been, been out, so, so to speak, uh, there. Yeah. So perhaps, hopefully, it's a reflection of sort of where things stand 
uh, right now in terms of opening up as we are here at the Plaza Hotel. Um, well, let's let, you know, uh, Alex, I, something I've wanted to hit a bit more on uh, on our network has been the private market. Yeah. Um, and you and I were talking prior to the show or prior to this interview a bit about that because it's a focus for you as well. A lot of hedge funds, for example, invest in privates now. Many of them, are, in fact, are making their year, so to speak, having significant outperformance as a result of their investment in their marks and their privates. Exactly. When it comes to your area of the world, and we should mention, of course, which is uh, pharma, biotech, medicine in general, uh, what are you seeing and are you concerned at all perhaps of overvaluation in the private markets? Yes, we are. So the, the private markets have be, been very, very robust, you know, kind of recently. The, you know, biotech goes in cycles, as, as we all know, and it was sort of heading up into a cycle at the beginning of the coronavirus. And then with the coronavirus, you know, people realize, well, the, the, the solution here is, is medical research. And, you know, companies like Moderna and Pfizer, you know, kind of came through on that. Um, and a lot of money kind of came in into biotech. So I think it sort of supercharged the end of the, the kind of last cycle we, we had here. And one of the mechanisms that's, that through which a lot of that investment's been done is on the private side. So if you look at, say, biotech, I think there's a lot more being done in terms of dollars of capital in private than ever before. So the market structure has changed a little bit. Right. And it's really getting, in my view, you know, kind of quite frothy. So there are, there, are, there are good investments still to be made. It's not that everything is, is overvalued, but a lot of things out there are getting to be, again, And what would be overvalued. an example of that in some way, either broadly speaking or specifically? So, you know, one of the things that I, I think is interesting to, to follow is, like, a lot of these companies are based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and uh, the, 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 the market for lab space in, in that area, in the Boston area, has gone off the charts. So, you know... Uh, companies are having to do road shows with prospective landlords to kind of get a space in, uh, believe it or not, you know, at some future time in, 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 in a building, uh, which is kind of absurd. And they're paying, you know, kind of north of $100. So they're just competing to actually even get the lab space. They're competing to get the lab space. On top of it, they're paying north of $100 a foot, like more than midtown Manhattan kind of. So how, how sustainable is this? I mean, we've been through some periods like this. You've been an investor in this sector for many years. Uh, how is it going to end, in your opinion? And how do you benefit from it as somebody who's obviously allocating assets? So, so we're watching it closely. It's a very interesting thing. So I think the valuations have got got too high. Now, it's important to, to, to sort of note that most of these companies are very high-quality companies with good people who are doing intelligent things that are worth doing. It's just what valuation is being placed on that, right? And because the reality is most of these enterprises will fail, or the ideas that they're going after will fail. If you look at clinical, if you, uh, in fact, most of these companies are preclinical, but even clinical work. So once you get through all the hurdles to get to human testing, only one in ten drugs actually works that's in human testing. Right. And most of these companies we're talking about don't even have candidates that are in human testing. Even with the advances that have been made in so many different ways, is is it still a similar percentage to what it was in terms of success? So you could argue, and and I actually would would say, yeah, I think it probably will go up, you know, kind of somewhat over time. But it's not going to, in my view, it's not going to go up by, you know, some some giant factor. It's it's more that sort of at the margin we're going to see improvements and we'll see smarter experiments being done in early-stage human testing that lead to higher probabilities of drugs being approved. But not, I don't think that's going to be a dramatic thing. Unfortunately, drug development is really, really difficult. 
as, 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 uh, as we know, and I mean, we wish for all humanity that it was easier, but it's a, it's a really, really hard problem. There's a lot of enthusiasm in the sector now, and you see a lot of money coming in, and a lot of people are not as focused on, you know, kind of what stage the company is in or whatever, and they want to they want to invest with a, good, with a good team, which is a good thing. Right. But one has to kind of be very careful about the valuation to get a return over time. But a lot of them are using the marks in the public market to help their valuation in the private market and or the yes. latest IPO or the latest company to go public via SPAC at a very high multiple on whatever the number might be many years out. Does That's that have to change before these private market values? How's it, you know, and, and again, are you shorting some of the names out there that you can in the public markets? So I think that, uh, I don't know what's going to change first, but I think all those things, you know, have to come down over time. Uh, it doesn't have to be calamitous. It can, it, it can happen sort of in a, in, a, in a more orderly way. I think there'll be a lot of, of, of opportunities to consolidate. So if you look at a given, uh, say, a venture capital firm in their portfolio, they typically uh, do not have the capital to support all the companies they have going forward. So they, they, they assume that there'll be some rate of attrition, but right. even with that, that attrition, they can't support all of them. They depend on, you know, kind of pri- uh, other private market investors or, the, or, or a SPAC or an IPO or whatever. And if those valuations come down, this is uh, basically the, 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 this, this, uh, the musical chairs will it end. It all ends, but at the same time, you've got this wall of liquidity that just keeps coming. I mean, and by the way, it's not just biotech. It's, it's all other parts of technology as well where we're seeing extended valuations, many would say, but nobody's willing to say it's not going to end anytime soon. Yeah, I hear you. In tech, you could argue in certain areas that tech is even, is even uh, more overvalued. And we'll be having, in my view, inflation. So that's, you know, kind of to some extent, you know, the markets are looking forward and pricing in, you know, kind of, so what does that mean from your less. perspective of somebody but, who's running a, a hedge fund? I mean, are you finding so, nothing to invest in right now? Or? No, not at all. So, so there's a few things going on. So on, on, on the activist side on what we do, you know, there, there's been a big bifurcation in the market. So although there's a lot of stocks that are up a lot, there's, 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 you know, if you look at our portfolio, there's a number of names in our portfolio that are trading around where they IPO'd a decade ago or whatever. You know, so uh, there, there are companies that have had some missteps not missteps in our view that, that mean the DCF is, I mean, we think that the DCFs are meaningfully higher than what we're, what we're paying. But uh, people, people the, 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 the stocks that are doing well and the, and the private companies that are doing well from an investment perspective have monotonically improving fundamentals. That, there's always hiccups, there's always things, or, or almost always things that go wrong in biotech development, and those companies are getting punished a lot. So we think that there's... There's a lot of investment opportunity in, in that area, in the public markets. And in, in the private markets, I think that there'll be, frankly, some consolidation. I mean, there are many companies that, that have been founded. It's hard to keep track of the names of all of them. You know, I mean, it's literally so many. Um, and there'll be a lot of synergies with some of them working together. And that, prob- that will be forced when right. capital becomes more constrained. Alex, we're out of time for now, but always nice to catch up with you. Appreciate it. Thank Wonderful you. to catch up with you. Thank you, and be healthy. Thank I you. I will. I will. Alex Denner. And here we are, live in an actual conference, Carl. Over to you. Yeah, uh, I felt the same way at Code, David. Uh, it's a nice feeling. We'll see you in a bit, uh, David Faber. Uh, let's move from stocks. Uh, Dow's down 217 to bonds. Ten-year, as we said, got to 157, currently backing off even a little bit more as U.S. Nat gas futures are now down yes. 8%. 
steepest loss of the year. Yes. Uh, keep your eye as well on some uh, German, French, Italian yields, even though we got a miss on both German factory orders and Eurozone retail sales. Finally, a look at the dollar index uh, as the Dow is still down about 230. We're back in a moment. Well, despite that back off in yields this morning, uh, breadth continues to be remarkably weak. Dow's down 262. Uh, every sector is red. Got the VIX off of the morning highs, but still above 22. We're going to get stopped trading with Jim in just two minutes. It's time for Jim and Stop Trading. Mean people hold your ears right now. They took up Palantir very big last night on an Army win contract. City, which admittedly has been sell, a sell on it, says that it's not a new contract despite the headlines. It's not really that important. Uh, Palantir is a very good company, okay? But the desire of the mean people, and there I'm speaking about people who are overly enthusiastic about stocks. It's a good term for it. Uh, it makes it so you end up paying too much for something, and then the institutions take advantage of what you've done and they drill your bids. Uh, it has been stuck in the mid-20s for, what, nine, seven months? Well, I mean, in the meantime, shouldn't you have just gone in and bought service now or buy a, you know, buy a cybersecurity company like a Palo Alto Net that has done so much better, Fortinet? Yep. But people are saying, this is just something that these mean people, they get stuck on something. And I like the fact that they're, they have conviction, but you need discipline. And discipline says cut your tie to Palantir and go by Palo Alto. Jim, what's tonight? Okay, I've got, geez, I'm on the hot seat here. I've got uh, Constellation Brands, which is obviously uh, regarded today as uh, being a mixed picture uh, because they've got some good, some bad. I've got Levi's. People are worried about denim and cotton. Let's answer that question tonight. Uh, I got to feel, I think Chipberg knows more about this than anybody. And um, I've got Marvell, which has an analyst meeting. Talk about being on the hot seat about what's going on with chips. Now, admittedly, they're high performance, but no, nobody knows more than Matt Murphy. He is he's also like an Iron Man. He's done those things in triathlon. I've not done those. There's still time. But he doesn't have a bar. He does not, by the way, have a Q, QR. You, he did not have one of no, those. That's, you, you, you can't hold it to, to your cell phone up to him. You've always got that to hold yeah, over his I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm all aces. Take that, Matt. Yes. We'll see you at 6. Uh, Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.